Good morning, everyone. All right, you're pretty warmed up. Hey, my name's Ann, and maybe there's a few of you out there that I'm meeting for the very first time. I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen, but I have a puzzle for you this morning. Can you guess who this is? Anybody want to venture a guess that wasn't at the parents' night out? Yes, this is our very own Rick Sawchuk, a.k.a. conductor of the Polar Express. And I just want to ask for a show of hands, those of you who are in the crowd today that helped with this event, maybe before, but maybe during as well, if you helped with this event, I think you guys are the parents who are out on the dates. Can we just say thank you to these guys? Yeah. A whole slew of people. Now, we have done research on what the kids experienced, which was phenomenal. We haven't done as much research on what the parents who are on their nights out have experienced. Okay, maybe those aren't appropriate for church, but I heard that some of them had a really, really good time. Now, you might have noticed the little announcement at the beginning about the stockings. So before we start our talk today, I just wanted to mention those. Every week, those stockings are going to be there. And every week, there's something different in them. And it ties in with the word that the Lord's bringing us about in this series about his epicness, his larger-than-lifeness. And so um, I want you to not take the stocking off the back, but in a few minutes, there'll come a time in our talk this morning where I'll ask you to take some things out of there. Now, the candy cane that's in there, you can take that out at any time. Just don't crinkle the paper too loud, okay, uh, you know, during the talk, or I might get distracted with, you know, several hundred of those going, being ripped. Well, We've been in the, we're just in the second week of this series called Epic, and last week, Jared talked about the birth or the intervention that Jesus made by coming to planet Earth, and I was given the small assignment of the 33 years following that birth, right? Do you think we can do that in 30 minutes? Yeah, that might be scaring some of you because you know me, <laughs> but we're going to talk about Jesus' life today, and it's about his epic love, because if we could characterize one thing about Jesus' life, it was his love for those whole 33 years, and so then next week, I'm really excited because Jared's going to take you to the cross. He's going to talk about his epic forgiveness, but today it's all about this epic love, and thinking about that word, I had my granddaughters with me, uh, two of them. Um, Katie and Julia, and Katie loves mango, so whenever I know she's going to be with me for a while, I'll buy one of those tubs from Costco. And so for breakfast every morning, um, cinnamon toast, very predictable, cereal, and then, Katie, would you like a piece of mango? And she says, yes, Grammy, two ginormous pieces every morning. It was two ginormous pieces. And most of you know, epic really does mean ginormous, larger than life, big. And so I was reminded of that each day. But, you know, as I've been reflecting on Jesus' 33 years of life, and we're going to take a look at kind of a story that happens that's a capstone of his life um, today. But when I look at that, I see that Jesus redefines epic when it comes to love. When you're using epic to describe love, Jesus is going to mess with us. He's going to show us that it is something upside down, inside out, and backwards from ginormous. That what ginormous epic love looks like is really different than what our culture and what we've grown up with. So I want you to think with me for a minute, and we're going to take a look at a very serious time in life. I want you to think about what would you do if your death was imminent? 
and you knew it. Now, not are you going to die, right? Death is certain until Jesus comes back. That, but if you knew that you were going to die and your death was hours away, how would you spend your last hours? I'm going to give you just a minute there to think. You know, I'm not going to ask you to share it with anyone else, but I'd like you to think about Maybe it's just one thing that comes to mind for you. What would you do if your death was imminent? How would you spend your last few hours? Other people have actually experienced this. I've gotten to walk through several people with this. My dad, who died 18 years ago now, um, we were doing this hospice care. He knew when his last moments were coming. I know what he did. He spent it with family, and he spent it doing two things, telling us how much he loved us and telling us that he knew he had made mistakes. And he hoped that his love would be bigger and more prominent in our minds than his mistakes. I know what Jared's mom did as we were with her the night before she went to be with Jesus. And as we were all around her hospital bed and we took communion together. And then until 1130 at night, she kind of just talked in stories one after another, starting with when she came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior in the fourth grade. And then went from there. All of her stories intermingling with her family and the people who had made a difference in her life. You know, Randy Posh is a husband, and a, he was a husband and a father of three, and he had that same opportunity as Gene had, as my dad had. And his efforts were shared with us in a book called The Last Lecture. He called it that because he is a professor at Carnegie, he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, and they had this series called The Last Lecture. But this was his attempt to share with the people in his life what he thought was most important. And, you know, he talked about a lot of things that wouldn't be surprising to us. He talked about how to give an A-plus apology to people if you were in the wrong. He talked about how to get along with people and be nice to people. He talked about how we should say thank you probably a lot more than we already do. He talked about receiving input from others, listening to them, and not just listening and then dismissing, but listening and receiving from them. And he talked about his dreams for his three kids. Because, you know, when we know that our time is short, when we know that our death is imminent, what really matters comes to the forefront. We have a greater sense of what really is important. And Jesus spent his entire life talking about the things that really mattered, like Randy and others. But he was quite purposeful in how he spent his final hours. His last hours, when he knew his death was imminent. And it's here that I think we get a great snapshot of what epic love looks like. I'm going to invite you, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it would be John, the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to invite you to watch it on the visual Bible, the book of John, chapter 13, the foot washing. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved those in the world who were his own, and he loved them to the very end. Jesus and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, 
the thought of betraying Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete power. He knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So he rose from the table, took off his outer garment, and tied a towel round his waist. Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter. Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. Never, at any time, will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you will no longer be my disciple. Lord, do not wash only my feet, then. Wash my hands and head, too. <laughs> Those who have taken a bath are completely clean and do not need to wash themselves, except for their feet. All of you are clean. All except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and it is right that you should do so because that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have just washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you, so that you will do just what I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. No slaves are greater than their master, and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know this truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. So Jesus in his final hours, knowing that his death was imminent, chose to spend it having a meal with 12 of his best friends. It'd be like having the meal that we have uh, the night before Christmas Eve, because this was the day before Passover, the day before a very special holiday for the Jewish people. And there, there, Jesus is the guest of honor at a dinner party that he kind of put together. 
and they're in a rented house. Not really rented, but a borrowed house. And because of that, there was no servant available to wash their feet as they had traversed the streets of Jerusalem, the dusty trails with the dirt and the dung from animals that had gotten on them. And so Jesus removes his sandals, removes his outer garments, and he is one of his final acts, does this act of love for all of them. This would have been the job of the most menial servant. It was the job for the servant who was lowest on the totem pole, the servant with the least seniority, you could say. And this was the act of love that he chose to do for these 12. So you might be saying, well, okay, so why did you pick this out of 33 years of life for Jesus? Why this particular time? Because when somebody knows that they're about to die, the last things they do in those final hours make huge statements. And it's no different here. We want to ask the question, what's so epic about Jesus' love? What's so ginormous about it? What's so larger than life about it? And I want to suggest that out of this story, there's two things about his love that come out to us immediately. And one is that his love is durable. And the other is that his love is selfless. And I want to unpack those for a couple minutes with you and then invite you to consider them in your own life. This first one, that his epic love is durable. Now, durable, that's not a very sexy word. That's not a sweep off your feet kind of word, is it? To apply to love? I mean, that's not a Clark Gable Scarlett O'Hara, you know, kind of love. Uh, that's not a Dr. Shivago, um epic love story. You don't usually think of using the word durable when you think of those love stories, do you? But durable, it sounds more like a pair of jeans to me or maybe work boots. And yet I think you're gonna come to appreciate it and have a confidence in God's love for you when you really understand this quality, this nature of it. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verses 7 and 8. He says that God's love, agape love, it perseveres. It bears all things, is the way the King James put it, puts it. His love never fails. So I want you to think with me about these 12 guys in this room, in Jesus' final moments. Who were these 12 guys, which really help us understand the durability of God's love? Okay, because first of all, you've got Judas, whom Jesus knows at this point is going to betray him. So you've got Judas the betrayer, and Jesus is spending time with him. And then you've got Peter. You know that this little dinner party lasted for several hours. This was just the beginning of the party, right? They'd just come in off the streets. Their feet were just dirty. Now they're all washed. They're ready for an evening together. This was just part of the conversation. You know what the next part of the conversation was? Jesus turning to Peter and saying, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. So you've got the betrayer. You've got the denier. And now you've got the other ten. And Jesus really isn't finished because in just a little while after this, at the very same meal, Jesus turns to them and lets them know they're all going to be deserters. Well, that might be too harsh a word, actually. I like the term AWOL because that's a military term that means absent without leave. And that's kind of what happened to them. They didn't desert him once and for all, but they did go AWOL on Jesus in, the, in just a few hours from this meal that he's enjoying with them. And he knows this is going to happen. Listen to what he said to each one of them. None of these things stopped Jesus 
from spending his final hours and loving them in this way. Here's what he said to them. To Judas, what you're about to do, do quickly. To Peter, you'll deny me three times. And to the 11, he said, you're going to leave me all alone. And these are the people that he stooped down and washed their feet as one of his final acts. This kind of reminds me of the movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Now, I know this seems like a strange departure for some of you, but if you haven't seen the movie, it's about a magazine writer played by Kate Hudson, and she um, is wanting to write an article on how to lose a guy. It's a woman's uh, magazine, obviously, about how to lose a guy in 10 days. And she sets out to find a guy, get him to like her, and then in 10 days, this is what the bet was, she could get him to lose her, to give up on her, to quit loving her, to quit being attracted to her by doing very annoying things. So she tries being selfish, just utterly selfish, everything about her. That doesn't work. She tries being sappy. I mean, sentimental, sickeningly sappy with him. In front of his friends, in front of his boss, everybody. She tries being childish, so much so that she does that baby talk thing, even in front of his friends, and it's just really embarrassing. And then she tries being rude, just absolutely rude to him, and then obnoxious, taking it, you know, escalating it a bit further, and then humiliating him. And she made sure she did this in front of people that mattered to him. And then inconsiderate, and then needy. Just every moment asking and demanding and needing things from him. And, you know, I know that we sit there and we laugh at that caricature. That's a a, a world idea, right? You can stop somebody from loving you by just being obnoxious enough, by just being rude enough, by just being childish enough, by just being inconsiderate enough, by just being needy enough. Some people are living their lives the same way with God. Like his love, his epic love is this how to lose God in 10 days. Let's see what we can do here. Most of us, I would, say that betrayal or denial or desertion or going AWOL in a relationship, those are pretty good reasons to ditch it, to stop, to give up on the person, to lose your love for that person. But Jesus' love isn't like that. It's durable. His friends' failures did not stop him from loving them right to the end. In the Greek, he actually says that he was now going to show them the full extent of his love. So he's here at the end knowing that they're about to do their worst mistakes of their lives, and he's here to love them particularly. No matter what we throw at Jesus, no matter what flaw you have that presents itself on any given day, at any given moment, in any of your relationships, His love is still there for you, for me. I think it's hard to grasp this because everything on planet Earth is finite and it ends. Everything on planet Earth is in a state of atrophy, right? From the moment it begins, it starts going down from this. Anybody who's bought a house can certainly relate to this one. (laughs) But I want to suggest just a few of the items that remind us that we're faced with every day. You know, God's love doesn't default as in a loan. It doesn't crash like NASCAR or the stock market. His love doesn't back out like someone who breaches a contract with you. His love doesn't change its mind like buyer's remorse. 
which we've all experienced. His love doesn't dwindle like the money in our wallets or our purses or our bank accounts. His love doesn't fade like our clothes that are washed time after time after time. His love doesn't decline with aging like we do. His love doesn't dim like my eyes after 40 did. His love doesn't lose like our team in the big game. His love doesn't fall off like the leaves that we see all over and that I, and Jared and I swept up yesterday as we were doing the lights at our house. His love doesn't move on as in greener pastures. I think we've all had that happen. And his love doesn't end as in a book or a divorce or a job or a death. There really is something more certain than death and taxes. There's something more sustainable than the green practices that we in the Portland metro area pride ourselves in so much. There is a hard drive, and this is good news, folks, that cannot be erased, and it is Jesus' love for us. And this is what this moment in Jesus' life reminds us. That his epic love is enduring. That his epic love is eternal. That it's sustainable and it never fails. So I don't know today what label you're wearing. I'm not sure they get much worse than these that his followers wore. Of the betrayer. Or the denier. Or going AWOL. But I want to suggest a few to you. Because in the middle of wherever your story is today, and I don't know where that is for you, he wants today for you to walk out of here with an absolute confidence that he loves you. Flaws and all. Messiness and all. Sin and all. So I put these three together. This is like the perfect trifecta, don't you think? One kind of leads to the other, and I could maybe be the expert on these. Impatient, which leads to critical, which leads to angry. And you know, just, just a few weeks ago, I was uh, teaching, and you had to get your, your sound pack, your mic pack, before the service. And I was at the 8 o'clock service, and you'll remember we took communion a couple weeks ago. And so I was back in the back just before the service, and my mic pack wasn't ready. And I was impatient. (laughs) And I expressed it to John, who was our sound guy and who was serving the day after his daughter's wedding, which is a pretty epic event, as you know. And for a dad and his daughter, that's a pretty emotional event. And so it can be extremely exhausting, yet he chose to serve all day. But what did I do? I was impatient with him. So much so, I made some comment, and I walked down to the front and sat down to worship Jesus. (laughs) And And then... I I sit there and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and we're taking communion. And right in that moment, I know what God wants me to do. And I literally got up in the middle of the worship song, walked to the back, and had to tell him I was sorry. I don't know what makes you feel less lovely, less lovable to God today. I don't know what label you'd be wearing, but I want to suggest a few others. Maybe today you struggle with your sexual orientation, being attracted to somebody of the same sex. Being gay, that's what it's called, folks. I've got friends who are gay, and you know what? Jesus loves them. Jesus has had me ask them, what do you want Jesus to do for you? 
I asked my stylist this when I was living in Los Angeles, and Unity told me, he said, nothing for me, but for my mom, I would ask this. And he told me. And right then, in that moment, I knew I was to ask him, and I said, you know, I think that that's great, Robert, that you want your mom to have peace and comfort in this time, because they'd both lost, he'd lost his brother, 23 years old, a really difficult time. I said, but Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? And that's when he told me the story about the church giving up on him. So he gave up on them. And I said, well, that might have been that church, but God never gives up on you. That might be a label that we'd wear. And then there's the dishonest one. We need to move rather quickly, don't you think? These get a little bit uh, invasive, right? This is a little too intrusive. So dishonest. And then an abortion. Maybe you've had an abortion somewhere in your past. I've seen this trip people up from experiencing, having confidence in God's love for them. I have a friend who's had two abortions. I found that out way into the relationship. Why was that? Because she was afraid. She was afraid that she wouldn't be lovable. She felt that from God as well. It kept her from God for a number of years until she discovered that he has a love that is bigger, that holds on and holds up in the midst of that. And then illegal alien. Some people just say illegals, okay? And, and people can get all mad about that. Did you know that God doesn't care about our status? Yeah. And he loves us anyway. It has nothing to do with his love for us. And how can we do less than that? And then there's adulterers. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, folks. How many have ever experienced this? Of course, we do know Jesus' higher standard was if you even think it in your head, right? So on that, he's probably going to get most of us. But let's say you have, you know, committed the actual physical act of having sex with somebody who's married yourself other than your spouse. Now, guess what? God's love is bigger today. You can have a confidence in his love. There's not a permanent black mark on your record. Okay, and then just being mean. Okay, now, Jared has said, even from the platform, mean people suck, okay? But here's the thing. Meanness sucks. There are no people who suck. Not to God, and there can't be for us. And that's what Jesus is telling us by hanging out in his final hours with these 12 losers, so to speak, okay? And then there might be fornicators here in our midst. And these are people who are having sex. They're not married, and they're having it with other people who aren't married, Okay, outside of the confines of marriage. And guess what? God loves us in the middle of that. So I just thought it would be good to go over a few of the signs, the labels that we wear. We're so good at recognizing the labels of Jesus' disciples, aren't we? What they, how they messed up. I think one of the reasons is it bring, gives us heart. It gives us hope. So have you messed up lately? I have. And the good news is you can't lose God's love in 10 days or in 10 ways, right? Yeah, that's right, Nikki. You can appreciate that. Jesus, in his final hours, spends it with 12 of the most flawed people. Failures in every definition. But his love was durable. It outlasts rejection, denial, betrayal, and anything else that we might throw at it. And that is good news for us today. That's epic today. And let's talk about that second quality, that his love is selfless. Jesus' love serves others. That just means he did what was best for these guys, no matter what it cost him. 
no matter what it required of him. So he be- takes on the form of a servant and he becomes the lowliest of the low and washes the dung and dust off their feet. Did you know that Pope Francis, the new pope from Argentina, did this recently? Something very similar. He dressed in ordinary priest clothes. I'm not sure what those look like, but I know it involves the collar, right? But, it's, you know, he took off all the vestments that he had as pope, the, the holy garb, you might say. And he put on just the ordinary priest garb, and he snuck out, and he started ministering and helping homeless men and women. Woo, Twitter got moving. Yes, people were Twittering this around the world. And so it, the Swiss Guard, they have been protecting the pope for hundreds of years, and they had to weigh in on it. And yes, they confirmed that the pope had actually set aside his royal clothing his holy attire, and stepped into more ordinary clothes and gone out and helped some homeless people. Now I want to suggest something to you. He did that for a night, but that's what Jesus did for 33 years. You see, he came to earth and he put on these everyday clothes called a human body, left all that immensity and royalty and power and amazing creativity of heaven, and he came down and put on those simple clothes and for 33 years he lived the life of a servant serving us paul describes jesus life this way in philippians 2 verses 5 through 7 says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as christ jesus who being in the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness this is the same jesus of whom john the baptizer said the straps of whose sandals i'm not worthy to untie peter's response you saw it in fact did you notice the expressions of the guys when jesus starts stripping taking off his outer garment, and he ties that towel on, and they're all looking at each other kind of like, what's happening here? What's going to happen next? The Pope has taken off his royal vestments. What's he about to do? So you heard Peter's response. And in the Greek, it really means like what he said, never in a million years, Jesus. You're not doing this for me. This is too degrading for somebody who's Messiah. Can you see the paradox that he sets up about epic? There is a paradox that we've called this epic. Ginormous, huge. Because Jesus' love was just the opposite. Huge love was small. Ginormous means on a grand scale. It means infrequent in occurrence, only by a few, swept off your feet by it only accomplished in a very narrow group of people. But he redefines love, not in the grand moment, the royal moments, the flashy moments, the swept-off-your-feet moments, but as in selfless acts of love that are performed for people who, whether they did good or bad, they get the same love because his love is durable and his love serves. You know, I was getting sloppy, We'd been back from Tucson for almost two weeks this past week, and I looked over at the ottoman in our bedroom, and there was my suitcase. My suitcase, not my husband's. I know sometimes people joke about sloppy husbands. Well, no. My man here, he's a neat person. He's tidy. He always has been his whole life. In college, he was not in the dorms. All the guys like to hang out at his room because it was peaceful, and theirs was trashed, right? 
Well, in our home, now, I do try to keep a very tidy home because I love him. But you know what the Lord told me? He says, Ann, you're getting sloppy. Not, he wasn't referring to my housekeeping. He was referring to sloppy in loving him. And he pointed that suitcase out to me as I was on the way out the door to come to Evergreen. And he said, you know that suitcase? You've thought about it. Every day you've noticed that it was there, which I had. And every day you keep leaving it there, right? And okay, it was open. It was full. Stuff wasn't spilling out, but it was showing. So I went ahead and I stopped right then. And he says, you know that this would mean something. This doesn't matter as much to you, but it matters to him. Isn't that what selfless is about, folks? It's about what the other person needs, not what I need. I don't need that. It doesn't bother me. So I had to stop, and I got that all straightened up. And when I finished, while I was doing it, I noticed several other things (laughs) that I'd left laying around and hadn't followed through on, right? And so I did everything, and the whole thing took me an hour. Okay, don't ask me how many things there were there. But it did. It took me an hour before I actually was ready. Fortunately, I'd started to come to Evergreen an hour early. So I had the time. But I was getting sloppy. You know, epic love is the husband that I've watched for several months now come to the Orenco Salon once a month with his wife who has MS in a wheelchair. And he holds her foot at just the right angle so that the technician can work on her feet. Not just making them clean, but making them beautiful, even if for a few weeks. And he knelt down next to her wheelchair and holds her leg in place. Not for two minutes. We're talking for 30 minutes. One leg at a time. Epic love is changing the diapers and not keeping score. Epic love is stopping at an elderly parent's house to check and make sure they've taken their medication and that they've taken the right amounts of it. Epic love is as simple as the neighbor who, when we were doing lights yesterday, came out to talk to Jared and I. And, I mean, Scott's never done this before. He said, hey, can I get you something at Starbucks? I don't know if he's just so thrilled that we finally got our lights up or what. (laughs) Because we were doing so at their prompting. (laughs) But he ran down to Starbucks, and he brings me a coffee. And it was, it was so kind. It was epic. Not ginormous as in flashy. Jesus' love is epic. It's a selfless love, and it didn't begin at the, the cross, and it didn't end Or just start with his birth. You know, Jesus' epic love began when God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit got together before the foundations of the world. And they looked ahead because they could do that. They're not subjected to time. And they saw what was going to happen with their amazing creation called humankind. Their kids. That we were going to mess up. And they made a plan of how would we ever fix this sin problem, this thing, this habit that we all have of messing up. And they made a decision in love that Jesus would be sent, God's one and only son. And that he'd live a sinless life, that he'd come as the servant. It began when Jesus left all of heaven and he came not to live in a palace, but to live as a carpenter's son. He didn't come as royalty, living a pampered and entitled life. He came and hung out with some blue-collar guys without much means, with little social status, not some pampered, entitled life. Came to connect with people 
who others never cared about or had given up on. He came and was ridiculed and criticized and ostracized for loving and including people, all kinds of people with all kinds of problems like you and I. You know, epic love looks a little like Jesus blessing some little kids that others were shooing away. It looks a lot like turning some water into wine because it had run out and the wedding needed it. Epic love looked a lot like reaching out to heal some people who for 12 years and with all the means they had had secured all the help they could get from physicians and they're desperate and he healed them. Epic love looks a lot like taking time for a guy that others hated. It looks a lot like enjoying and partying with people that others have judged unclean. Epic love looks a lot like explaining over and over again to these 12 friends and others what you're inviting them to and what they're a part of, this kingdom, this new kingdom. And it's about challenging religious people who are mixed up about what mattered to God. Epic love. What makes it epic? It played out daily in 33 years of life. Not one grand moment of birth and then nothing and then suddenly a cross. You see, what I'm hoping we'll capture today is that this was a string of days and years and months where Jesus' love was durable and his love was selfless every day, day in, day out. This is who he is. You can't stop him. His love goes on and on. It's eternal. And his love is selfless. So I want to ask you to consider, and there in your stockings, there's a Weishrag. I'm going to ask you to pull that out. And the little white card that's in there as well. And I'd like you to hang on to that as I ask these questions. And you don't have to do anything yet. I'm going to invite you to do that as Marley and the band come and sing a song. But here's the first question. What's your response to his love for you? This love that is unfailing, that's durable, that lasts, that holds up and hangs on no matter what we do. What's your response today? And I don't know, there's some of you out here who maybe have never said yes to that love, who've never answered his question, would you marry me? Would you be my bride? That's what we're called. And today could be your day to say, I do, Jesus. I receive your love. I accept what you've done for me. Not just the cross, not just the intervention, but the 33 years of loving and expressing love and showing me what it means to love. And if that's you today, when I pray at the end, I invite you to pray that prayer with me and just let Jesus know that. And then the second question is, how will his love change your life this week? And that's where that card comes in. You've got that card, and it's got two sides for it. That's because there's two things. There's receiving God's love, and there's giving it to others, right? And on the one side, I'd just like to ask you, what's the label that, you're, that you wear when you feel less lovable? What would it be that, what's your flaw? What's the thing that makes you feel less qualified to receive God's love. I'd like you to put it there. And this week, I'm going to invite you, even as you leave today, to throw that away because God's love's bigger than that. And then on the other side, I invite you to consider, is there a label that you've put on others that you think is too much for God's love? God wouldn't love somebody like that. 
I want you to write that on the other side. And then this third question is, how will his love change the way you love others this week? And this is where the washcloth comes in. I want to invite you to take the washcloth challenge with me. This isn't my challenge. It's one person, one act of love daily. Jesus' point to this whole washing of the disciples' feet Why did he take time to do this when he only had hours to live? He tells them why in verses 14 through 17. Here's what he said. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. What if, what if we... The Evergreen community committed ourselves to the washcloth challenge in honor of a Savior who did this for us, who showed us what it looked like. It's not the palace moments. It's not the royal moments. It's not the pampered, entitled moments. It's the selfless moments. And he's inviting us to think about, could we do this? Every day, one person, one selfless act of love. Somebody did that for me. In fact, every day this week, I've been noting all the amazing selfless facts that I think I often don't see. But somebody did one that really stood out to me. I needed hundreds of these washcloths. I called somebody who came to mind and asked her if she would go to Walmart for me. It wasn't her job. It's just that her name came to mind. She has three kids at home. I called her and asked her to do that. And you know what she did? She did it. She said yes. And my whole day, I told her, I said, you made my day shine. Because every moment that I remembered that, I remembered that she didn't have to, that it wasn't an obligation, that it wasn't her job. Isn't that what selfless means? She did something because it mattered to me. That's what Jesus did. He did something for us because it mattered for us. We couldn't live without him. Would you consider these things and then we'll pray as Marley sings.